listening to the Paul McGuire Report. I'm Paul McGuire. Wherever you are on planet Earth, wherever you're listening to this program from, whether it's the physical reality world of the United States of America, or it's the physical reality world of the inhabitants of planet Earth, or if you are interfacing with or connected to or or perhaps are in um, another dimension, another dimension outside of time and space. So, for example, uh, an illustration of that would be modern science up until the last 200 years firmly believed that uh, our reality was only the physical reality that you could perceive with your senses, such as seeing, hearing, you know, touching, tasting, etc. So whatever you could perceive with your physical senses, according to science, was real. It was real reality. Anything outside of those realms, those sensory-based realms, which uh, science often referred to this as uh, scientific materialism. Scientific materialism is simply another way of saying science determines whether or not something is real by whether or not it can classify it or categorize it within the dimensions exclusively perceived by your physical senses. And those are senses like seeing, touching, tasting, and so on and so forth. Now, if if something happens, if you have an experience or a truth comes to you or somebody postulates a theory or whatever it is, and you don't have scientific empirical evidence to back it up, then according to the way modern science used to operate, then your perception was no longer considered valid or real. Your your perception was considered purely mythological. And so, of course, this this whole uh, philosophy of what was called scientific materialism or empirical science, which led to the worship of science, and it led to, whether they wanted to admit it or not, it led to the elevation of science and scientists of a brand new religion. And the name of that religion was called Scientism, which is a playoff from the word science. So the new religion of scientism was born, and the tenets and the te- and, and the uh, uh, texts of scientism were the writings of what the secular humanist community perceived as the great scientists, which would be people like Charles Darwin, and we could go on and on. So here we are, and society, science, technology. Every facet of our society has made a dramatic U-turn in their fundamental philosophy, the fundamental platform by which they evaluate, categorize, and judge reality. And, And what has happened is that beginning around 200 years ago, and it's still controversial in many scientific circles, but beginning around 200 years ago, There were a lot of very strange things happening secretly or semi-secretly in the scientific community. 
actually it goes back further than, than 200 years ago. And the, the, the maxim or the primary tenet of, of, of science was built on what was called scientific empirical evidence. The father of scientific empirical evidence was a, a super genius, a brilliant man whose name was Sir Francis Bacon. In my books like uh, A Prophecy of the Future of America, uh, The Greatest Battle for the Hearts and Minds of Mankind in the History of the World, uh, uh, Power from on High, Conquering the Matrix, and others, I, I focus in, I hyper-focus in on <clears throat> the birth of the scientific empirical method, and specifically the great prophets, or the great movers and shakers of empirical science, which were men like Sir Francis Bacon, and they called him the father of the empirical method, because he was the man, Sir Francis Bacon, and to, to a lesser extent, Sir John Dee. In the 1600s, he was the man who essentially said that nothing is real from a scientific standpoint unless you can prove it scientifically. So in order for a theory or a thesis or a potential truth that you may be developing, in order, of it, in order for it to be scientifically true and to be worthy of the endorsements of science or, or scientism, in order for it to be true on a scientific basis, it must pass the test of empirical science, which means that you must have scientific evidence to prove your theory. And it doesn't matter what you think or believe or anything else. What matters is, do you have objective, rational, scientific proof, scientific empirical evidence, which testifies that what you're proposing is true, um, based purely on scientific facts, scientific proof, and scientific evidence, which always comes down to things like numbers, measurements, equations, chemical reactions. So, for example, Darwin's theory of evolution is um, considered science, even though, in reality, it violates the, the, the mandate for empirical evidence. Because you have the entire scientific establishment on a global level, the educational establishment, the governmental establishment, the media establishment, all in unison functioning as evangelists for their new religion, scientism. And what, what scientism is based on is the so-called scientific proof or evidence that Charles Darwin's theory of evolution can be proven scientifically. And so what that means is that uh, a, a very vital and important empirical evidence regarding the theory of evolution is there has to be countless fossil records all over planet Earth, under the ocean, under lakes, deep in caves. <clears throat> and this scientific evidence or scientific proof can be in many forms. In this case, with Charles Darwin, Darwin, we're talking about the form of empirical evidence in the form of uh, scientifically valid fossil records. So scientists uh, of all kinds have claimed to uncover 
through discovering ancient bones, ancient buildings, ancient structures, ancient monuments, ancient spoons, and, and knives, and ancient herbal concoctions. And then they claim to have found a mathematically valid, a genetically valid a series of genetic evidence which shows the DNA trail of how, for example, uh, a rock that is non-living could have become a primitive rock with a certain amount of consciousness, or how a tadpole, tadpole may over, you know, <clears throat> 175 million years become evolved into a higher creature. So the entire theory of evolution is based on the validity of empirical scientific evidence, which is able to come up with proof in, in, in the form of fossil records. Well, they have discovered approximately 80 million fossil records, because the entire theory of evolution is based on the accuracy of the fossil records. And they claim to have discovered 80 million fossil records, which proved the theory of evolution. But in fact, the fossil records that they found, 80 million of them, uh, they have not found the all-important fossil record, which is commonly known as the missing link. So a scientific series and succession of fossil records as being used to prove the theory of evolution, invalidates itself if it cannot prove scientifically that um, they have fossil records that prove the DNA trail, the DNA evidence, for the theory of evolution. And therefore, because they have no legitimate uh, scientific empirical evidence or empirical proof, uh, they have to, strictly speaking, relegate science into just uh, the theory of evolution anyway, is permanently stuck in the twilight zone of big theory. And so that they cheat. In, in order to make something true, which is fundamentally not true, because they have no evidence for it, they cheat and they lie and they manipulate the data, and this is how they do it. The longer you extend the time period, for the theory of evolution, the more years you give it for it to have potentially have happened, the more you increase the percentile likelihood that the theory of evolution indeed is valid. And, and let me break it down even simpler. The mere fact that you are artificially increasing the statistical possibilities of evolutionary theory coming true, as Darwin proposed, the mere fact that you're, you're manipulating the data by increasing uh, vastly the number of years uh, it might potentially take for evolution to have come true, you have cheated empirical science, and you have substituted um, evolutionary theory and fossil records for or manipulated data, manipulated statistical evidence. So the game they play is they keep extending artificially 
the number of years that it would have taken for Darwin's theory of evolution to have come to pass. So they're now up to, to saying that it took somewhere between 200 million years and 300 million years for Darwin's theory of evolution to have come through. To come true. You see, they need to keep expanding the number of years so they, that they have more statistical likelihood. Let's pretend you're a gambler in Las Vegas. Guess what? You go into a casino. You have money with you. You gamble at whatever table you would like. And your odds are going to go up. Your statistical odds will go up sky high if you can increase your odds. So, so how would you potentially increase your odds in Las Vegas? The only way you could increase your odds would be to multiply the statistical probability of you getting a certain deck of cards or, or uh, winning at this game or that game. In other words, you've got to increase the percentage. You've got to increase the likelihood of things that supposedly happen by random chance. You've got to increase the statistical likelihood of those things actually happening. So how do you do that? You can't go, go outside and print, you know, uh, more uh, king cards or queen cards or whatever and, and, and secretly, you know, pad the deck with them. You'll be caught by their spotters. You'd be caught doing just about anything. But let's say hypothetically purely that you were, you were able to artificially, without anybody knowing it, extend and expand and multiply the amount of years it would take for whatever you're betting on to happen. So the only way you could win would be to increase the statistical probability of whatever you're betting on in order to increase your odds. So here's how the formula goes. You increase your odds of something happening when you increase the numerical possibility in terms of time or years, and by giving it far more time and years for something to happen, you increase the statistical possibility and you increase the probability that you will be a winner. You understand what I'm saying here? Well, that's what they've done with Darwin's theory of revolution and they revolution evolution, and they but they keep getting stuck in the quicksand because it doesn't work. And that's why they have to keep saying when they first started out proposing the theory of evolution, they would say stuff like this happened over 10 million years, then it happened over 25 million years. And now they're up to 200 million years, going on 300 million years, and they have to do that in order to increase their odds in the probability of the theory of evolution happening or coming true. Now, back to the, the scientific me method. Sir Francis Bacon, like many of the intellectual super scientists, philosophers, and geniuses of his time period, the 1600s, was secretly one of the highest-level members of the occult in the world. He was the head of the uh, Rosicrucian Secret Society. He was one of the heads of the Freemasons. He was the, the, the head of all these secret occult societies. He was the personal counselor to Queen Elizabeth, uh, and he 
was a mover and shaker of unprecedented proportions. But publicly, he hid that. The people in the occult all knew it, but publicly he hid that truth about himself. He, he, he promoted himself as a pure scientist that only operated on empirical scientific evidence and scientific facts proven by uh, proving scientific theories. The reality is that was his public persona. Secretly, he was a, a heavy, heavy practitioner of the occult and uh, did everything from uh, communicating with Sir John D. They conducted experience, uh, secret experiments for the Queen of England where they taught themselves to speak in the language of the Enochian angels. The Enochian angels, according to Sir Francis Bacon, were the angels uh, recorded in the Book of Enoch. And the angels recorded in the Book of Enoch, um, a majority of them, uh, are, are angels that fit into the category of the fallen angels, the Nephilim and the Rephilim, that all descended upon Mount Hermon, where they gave mankind uh, things like advanced mathematics and science and physics and technology and all kinds of scientific developments. So Sir John Dee and Sir Francis Bacon claimed that they had taught themselves to speak linguistically in the language of the fallen angels recorded in the Book of Enoch. Now, the Book of Enoch is an extra-biblical book. The only reason we have biblical permission to look at the Book of Enoch is because the Bible itself, in numerous passages, points to the Book of Enoch, makes reference to the Book of Enoch. So this, this account of the fallen angels mating with human women and giving mankind technology, uh, the reason we have the biblical right to examine that is because uh, the book of Enoch is referenced in, in numerous places in the Bible, including the New Testament. So when we cut to the chase, we see amazing scientific changes happening in the world that began in the early 1600s. And these scientific changes revolutionized the world, and they, they did something that could be classified as a paradigm shift. They relinked uh, ancient occultism, uh, the, the supernatural, with science and technology. Now, it's important for Christians to have—you don't have to be an expert about it, but it's vitally important for Christians to have at least a working knowledge, at least a superficial knowledge of these topics so they can be up to the speed, so they can have knowledge which brings you power. So Christians must have at least a minimal knowledge of these things, because the movers and shakers in our global society and our global world are all rapidly moving into the disciplines of science and technology and genetics uh, and multiple dimensions. The leaders of science and technology are moving into those intellectual categories of what is called quantum physics, quantum mechanics, 
string theory. And they are using these sciences to bring about revolutionary and futuristic scientific developments that, you know, 50, 60 years ago, it would have been thought impossible for these things to, to have happened. And so we need at least a taste of the flavor of these scientific breakthroughs, because these scientific breakthroughs are, are leading the physical real world that we live in right now into what Aldous Huxley called the brave new world, what George Orwell called 1984. And whether you realize it or not, it's the person that has knowledge who has power. In one of my earlier books that I wrote a long, long time ago, the title was called Who Will Rule the Future? A Resistance to the New World Order. And I don't know, this was written 25 or more years ago. And the thesis of the book is that the people who rule the future before the Lord returns at the second coming are those people that have the knowledge who are intellectually equipped, scientifically equipped, and spiritually equipped. And collectively, they have the knowledge and the ability to rule. This is critical, because Christians have neglected to to learn the disciplines and the knowledge disciplines in fields like science and physics and genetics and DNA and quantum physics and very high-level esoteric fields and sciences and technologies. Christians have neglected to to understand these fields. They have neglected to, to be up to speed in these fields. And the automatic result of, of being slothful in the study and understanding of these fields is that you will lose, it is guaranteed that you will lose the spiritual war, you will lose the battle for the human race and mankind, you will not rule the future, you will be a slave in the future. Please, mark my words. Book of Proverbs said what I just said in about five different ways all the way through, and the whole book of, of, of Proverbs is a book of knowledge and wisdom. Now, we either become the people who are on the vanguard and cutting edge of developing, exploring, and acquiring knowledge and wisdom in, in every area of life. If we do that, if we obey that principle of use, then we begin to excel in every area. And guess what happens? God is not, for, for the most part, God is not going to answer your prayers if your lifestyle, if the way you live, the way you think, and the way you believe is in direct contradiction, direct opposition, and in direct violation of the laws of God in all the other areas. You see, if you're going to maintain the habit of laziness and a lack of discipline, if you're going to be a person who shuns wisdom and education and knowledge, if you insist dogmatically in rebelling from these uh, uh, wisdom of God, if you rebel against the wisdom of God, it's going to come around and bite you in the new you-know-what. It's going to bite you. It's going to bite you hard, because you can't, it's like, you know, you can have all the faith in Jesus you want, that he answers prayer, he answers miracles. I believe that. I just wrote a book on it called Power from on High. 
However, if I stand, which I have stood, on the very top of the Empire State Building in New York City with my two sons, this is about 10 years ago, and there's a very, you know, it's a, not very far between you and falling, I don't know how many stories to the pavement of Manhattan. And I don't know what would be left of you as your body splattered against the pavement at high speeds. So this is what I'm saying. You can have all the faith in the world. You can quote the scriptures on faith. You may know how to pray or the prayer of faith and everything else. But within the kingdom of God and the greater uh, laws of God, if you choose to violate God's laws in one area, don't expect God to give you a special exemption in another area. So here's how it, it works. You have all the faith. You, you believe God for miracles. You can pray. Miracles happen. Uh, your life is characterized by miracles and signs and wonders because you have biblical faith. But if you were stupid enough to get up on top of the Empire State Building, climb over the little barrier, and, and stand looking straight down, I don't know how many stories, to the pavement with the taxi cabs and the cars honking, and you decided you were going to use your faith and God would exempt you from the law of gravity and that God would give you, because you had the prayer, you had the gift of faith, that God would give you the supernatural ability to pray and you would not fall to the ground and die. Guess what would happen? Well, you already know what would happen. You would fall to the ground and die a brutal and horrible death. Well, 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 you just said the person had the gift of faith. The gift of faith is not synonymous with being stupid. In other words, God gives you a common sense, a reason, a logic, a rationale. He expects you to use all those factors in your mind and brain before you go out willy-nilly and violate one of his fundamental laws of creation, such as the law of gravity. So no, you can't stand on the edge of the Empire State Building and, and fly off and expect to survive. They will not be able to find your body pieces with a microscope by the time your body hits the ground. And so we need to be careful in all areas of life that risen, true wisdom, not counterfeit wisdom, true wisdom always integrates itself with the entire body of God's wisdom. And you don't cherry-pick God's wisdom. Okay, you're listening to the Paul McGuire Report on Paul McGuire. <clears throat> be sure now to visit paulmcguire.us. People across the United States and the world are getting their copies that they pre-ordered of Power From On High. And people are receiving their copies in the numerical order and the date order that they purchased the book originally on a pre-order. And so we're moving as fast as we can. We're moving out hundreds of copies a day. So, but you've got to take a deep breath. Um, we haven't mailed them all out, but they're going out fast. Now, right now, you can get Power from on High at a special financial discount and save money. You can also get, along with that, other books at a special financial discount and save money. But you need to do that right now, because I don't, and I'm not just saying this to say it, I really don't know how much longer we can afford to continue to, to sell the book at a, a big discount. So if you want to save money on power from on high, then visit paulmcguire.us and order it now. You can order it securely online. You can order it via check. The choice is yours. You can buy one book or multiple books or package discounts. 
whatever you choose, but most of you are going to end up ordering it. So you might as well save money and uh, share your copy with somebody else. I just talked to somebody the other day. They ordered a whole bunch of copies, not only for themselves, but to give to all their friends and people they know. They use it as an effective ministry tool. So visit paulmcguire.us and help us spread the word. Now, in a second, we're going to open up, we're going to blow open the door in the universe of the secret power that God has for his people. You're listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Visit paulmcguire.us. You are now listening to the Paul McGuire Report. Let's talk for a moment about the science of quantum physics and quantum mechanics, which in its early initial seedling discoveries, uh, it began to be understood in the 18th and 19th century physical science. And it was largely responsible for what was called the golden age of mechanistic and deterministic scientific models of the universe, where the universe and its constituents are ruled by rigid interactive forces that can be measured scientifically, that can be predicted using mathematical tools, and today computerized mathematical tools, where the universe, the entire universe, or any system operating within it is made of the sum of its parts. Now, this, are, this is the deep truths of, of quantum physics. Our CIA and many of the world's intelligence agencies <clears throat> have spent billions of dollars researching quantum physics and the, and the relationship between our military, our CIA, and I, I, I talk about this in my book, Power from One High. Uh, I talk about this. I talk about quantum physics, quantum mechanics our military, the CIA, and its relationship to, let's just call it psychic warfare, things like remote viewing, where, where people can be trained using ESP and mental telepathy, applying quantum physics. They can see and locate, let's say, a secret enemy a storehouse of nuclear weapons. They can find it telepathically. Now, you may say, well, that's crazy. That's science fiction. Is it? Is it crazy? Is it science fiction? <clears throat> because if it isn't crazy and it isn't science fiction, you have somebody something very formidable to deal with. So these discoveries, <clears throat> like the nature of light, light was thought to be an electromagnetic wave that vibrated in an undetected uh, and let and later experimentally disproved media. The ether, at certain rates of vibration that would define its color, it was part of the electromagnetic wave spectrum that allowed one to perceive an electromagnetic wave, an electromagnetic wave as heat, light, radio waves, or other electromagnetic radiations. Depending upon the frequency of the vibrations, EMF, this spectrum has been well defined by the equations of English physicist 
James Clerk Maxwell in 1864. So this the, the physics behind this, quantum physics, is still controversial today. The, the theory that Nikola Tesla used to uh, discover an unlimited source of free energy, which through simple technology, Nikola Tesla was able to pull out of another dimension, and that other dimension was called the ether. Now, whether or not the ether is a reality or a fiction, well, it's still a scientific debate, but let's not, <laughs> let's not forget something. Whether it's a debate or not, Nikola Tesla managed to generate enormous amounts of electromagnetic frequency power by, he claimed, pulling it out of another dimension or pulling it out of the ether. And going back to 1864, the physicist James Clerk Maxwell uh, put together mathematical equations that, that he claims proved the existence of an etheric dimension. So, what does this mean? It means that <clears throat> um, beginning, you know, in the late 1800s, we have technology rising, we have a new, what was called a mechanistic impetus and approach to the fields of biology, microbiology, psychology, neurobiology, and the allopathic technical mechanistic approach to health sciences. Technology was considered the top dog, and understanding of interactions between well-defined separated systems would bring the possible conquest of disturbances and imperfections in machinery or biological entities. Now, this starts to, to sound like science fiction, and, and to somebody 500 years ago, it would sound like science fiction. But to somebody who's educated in cutting-edge science and science fiction, or, or at least is aware of science fiction, this is not science fiction. This is physics. So, so um, the, the whole theory behind this new religion, which was called scientism, was the worship of man and his intellect, and it had its starts with secular humanism and Darwin. Actually, it had its exact start in the Garden of Eden with uh, the Lucifer, Lucifer possessing the serpent of old, where he told Adam and Eve that God doesn't want you to eat from the fruit of the tree of the garden, because in the day that you do, you will be like gods, knowing good and evil. So the trigger for transhumanism, the trigger for this, this quest is to equip man through technology and science to be gods and to give man a godlike control over nature and the world. So that's what's happening right before our eyes with the global reset. The technology and science is giving mankind the power to be gods over this present world system. Now, uh, in 1913, the Danish physicist Niels Bohr, who was later one of the fathers of the Manhattan Project, which was this secret race to develop the first American A-bomb during World War II, and it, it incorporated, the Manhattan Project incorporated Niels Bohr's theory in 1913 called the theory of quanta or quanta of energy, in order to prove that the whole world of atoms was full of quantum jumps, 
or tiny particles. An electron could jump from one level of energy or orbit to another without disappearing in between these states. Then in 1905, we have the famous Albert Einstein, who, in his theories, he defined light as made of a quanta of energy or particles that he coined photons. And he wrote a famous scientific paper where he explained the photoelectric effect uh, of the quanta of energy or particles that he called photons. And for this scientific paper, he received a Nobel Prize in 1923. So this is not the, you know, the, the, the fruitcake, wacko, uh, you know, conspiracy theory crowd. These are the, the, the preeminent scientists of the last 200 years. And the men who were the scientists who birthed uh, the new physics of beginnings. And what they determined was that time and space uh, are relative notions according to Einstein's theory of relativity, and that quantum physics uh, postulates that all particles of matter, tiny particles, could be viewed as either as material bodies or as waves. It allowed for one electron or any particle to be in two locations at once which is called the double split experiment, and, imp- and, and proved that one could not predict the next location of a particle by knowing its present one. Let's just stop there for a moment. This discovery of quantum physics, propelled by the discoveries of Einstein and others, simply rockets man into the future and makes available to man science fiction-like sciences and technologies. So listen carefully, again, to what quantum physics proves. It proves that um, any small particle, microscopic particle, uh, could be viewed either as material bodies or waves on a subatomic basis. And this theory allows for one electron, or any other particle, to be in two locations at once. Okay, so what that means, quantum quantum physics is telling us that there are approximately 11 to 12 or maybe 13 dimensions, not just the sensory dimensions. Quantum physics proves to us that there are multiple dimensions, and because there are multiple dimensions, there are multiple doorways into multiple dimensions. Therefore, a scientific particle, such as, for example, um, an electron, an electron, because we now have discovered that we live in a world of multiple dimensions, an electron, you could be looking at, hypothetically, uh, at, a, at an electron under an electro, electron uh, microscope in your house. So you've discovered, hypothetically, one electron in your house by using uh, an electron microscope. You've discovered one electron. You've identified it. And then, in some remote village in China, where there's no internet or anything else, there's another scientist doing uh, research, and he discovers that, um, that there's another of these same electron particles that's located 
in a remote village in China. So simultaneously, you're looking at an electron in your house in America, and simultaneously, there's another scientist in, in a village in China somewhere looking at an electron in a remote village. And it's the same electron. How could that be? It defies traditional logic, traditional science, and traditional reason. It says, in effect, potentially, it says <laughs> that, that a person, potentially, could be in two different places at once, like sitting at a table in America and sitting at a table in China. It proposes, hypothetically, that two individuals could be in two different dimensions of reality at the same time. Now, if that's possible, and you got to track with me really quick, if that is possible, and according to quantum physics it is possible, then it is also possible that you could take a man, hypothetically, or a woman, hypothetically, observe them here, this year, this time, you could look at them and observe them in your home in America, okay, at this very moment. But, because of the laws of quantum physics, you could simultaneously, if, 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 you had some kind of technology that would allow you to time travel, some kind of machine that would allow you to time travel, some kind of technology that would allow you to walk through a door of time travel, then theoretically, theoretically, you could look at this same person in the future, and at the same time, you could be looking at them in the present. Then, you could, according to quantum physics, you could take this further. You could observe this person in the future. Have them record stuff with video and audio and stuff. And then, assuming, hypothetically, you had the technology, you could bring them back from the future, and theoretically and hypothetically, you could interview them, and they could give you all such a, all kinds of information, videotapes of technology, of cities, of life, and this person could come back from the future and give you a report, a detailed report of what the future will be like. Because what, what quantum physics ultimately does is it opens the doors of possibility into time travel, of going into the future or the past and coming back. How does it happen? You go through portals in different dimensions. Now, if you think I'm crazy or, you know, in the New Age, that's your problem, because our, 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 our military is investing billions of dollars in this, billions of dollars in weaponry that that revolves and is based on time travel, remote viewing, ESP, mental telepathy, and all kinds of futuristic sciences. And the sciences that brought it about are quantum mechanics and quantum physics. So, the majority of the theorists in the field of, of quantum physics in this strange world of quantum physics, these tiny subatomic particles dematerialize themselves into a different form. These tiny particles in quantum physics were able to dematerialize themselves into waves and rematerialize themselves into particles. So they're able to change at their 
their smallest level called the quanta, the very nature of how they manifest themselves in the universe. Now, um, when they made experiments with quantum physics, uh, the type of experiments that they were subjected to, and most importantly, the choice made by a conscious observer as to how he or she would view these particles. The majority of theorists of this phenomena of quantum physics, uh, they believed nature existed only as determined states as a conscious observer witnessed them, either directly or indirectly through through the artifacts of a measuring device. Quantum mechanics was born, and with it our view of reality would be changed forever. In order to comprehend events in in, in this world, with its different dimensions, one needed to introduce a a major variable that had until then been ignored. The consciousness, self-reflective thought or awareness, consciousness, the consciousness of the observer, the person observing what's happening. This is all important, and I'm going to repeat it to you out loud. Quantum physicists discovered that an all-important energizer is there must be a person who functions as an observer as to what is going on. For some strange reason, the energy of the observer facilitates uh, the the, the multi-dimensional travel that occurs. Now, Without the perception of a material world by a conscious entity, there were great doubts to the existence of that material reality independently of observation. And now I just want to close with this. This, There's more, and this is from an article at Paranormal Knowledge. Um, The whole concept uh, of, of what is potential reality manifest itself by our choices or our willpower, even though retroactively, through the dimension of time, and immediately across the perceived infinite space, as the two experiments mentioned above have proven, the, the physicists were shocked. Why? Because, on, in other words, volition and free will operate outside the confines of time and space, and our impression of making choices is but a delayed awareness of events that higher levels of our minds have already made for us, and therefore project to our awareness, consciousness, as a holographic packet of sensory information. Now, this is the scientific basis for remote viewers that are hired and trained by the military to remotely view where armies are stationed, where nuclear weapons are stationed, where biological weapons are stationed. Now, why did I tell you all this? I told you all this because this is the reason I wrote my brand new book, Power From On High. This is the reason. I spent three years seeking the face of God in prayer, research, research of the Bible, research of science, asking God to give me wisdom to help his people at this critical time, the last days, so that we might win the spiritual battle that is raging all around us. 
And the Lord began to direct me to to, to take deep dives into studies of fields and then study these scientific fields in light of biblical truth, which is absolute. And this was the takeaway. I found my faith in the Bible, in Jesus Christ, in the Word of God, was skyrocketing as I was studying the scientific material. I discovered a renewed, energized emphasis on the words of the the Bible, which says, nothing is impossible with God. With God, all things are possible. Or other verses in the Bible, which, which say, whatever you ask in Jesus' name, it will be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. Or other verses in the Bible, which say things like, Whatever you ask in Jesus' name, believing it will be done for you by my Father who is in heaven. So what I saw in just the Word of God alone, sound doctrine, what I saw in just the Word of God alone was endless verses, endless historical accounts from Genesis to Revelation of things that we are told are impossible to happen happening on a regular basis throughout the accounts of the Bible. Throughout the accounts of the Bible, we see, bam, one account after another of things that we are told are scientifically impossible, but boom, they happen anyway, because if you and I will act and conduct ourselves in synchronization and belief and faith in the the promises of the Word of God, God will, as he says in his word, he will suspend the so-called normal world. He will suspend normal reality. In fact, God Almighty and Jesus Christ will go up above and beyond the so-called normal reality to do absolutely anything that they choose to do if God's children, God's people, will, will pray in accordance and in according to the directives that God is commanding us to in the Bible. So just based on the, forget about quantum this and quantum that, just on the basis of the Bible alone, you and I and every true Christian in Jesus Christ has been given the supernatural authority and the supernatural power to work miracles. Okay? But there, there, it has to be done in accordance with God's laws. One of the primary laws is you have to ask for the miracles in accordance or in synchronization with the will of God. You can go and ask God to do all these things that are miraculous, but if they're not in the synchronization of his perfect will, he will overrule your prayer and not answer your prayer. So the prayers have to be asked in accordance to the Father's will, in accordance with God's will. When you make a prayer and ask God for a miracle of any kind, God will grant you and release that miracle in your life or the life of somebody else if if you are asking him in faith, in belief, and if you are asking him in accordance with his will. Now, if you violate the, the sacredness of God's platform, you, you won't see the results. You won't see the miracles that, that you think you're going to see. You will see nothing. 
And this bothers a lot of people. They freak out. They get depressed. They say the Bible isn't true. No. How stupid can you be? It no, in no way, shape, or form says the Bible cannot be true. You, you have a mental glitch that needs treatment because you're reading, but you have no comprehension. It in no way, shape, or form states that the Bible is not true. What it says is that your interpretation and understanding of the Bible is faulty and not true. Because the Bible very clearly says that if you pray according to God's precise specifications, and if you ask in faith and in the name of Jesus Christ, and if you ask according to the will of God, all these things must be synchronized with the will of God. Then, and only then, after you have met this list of conditions for the miraculous to occur, then, then and only then, will God release for you the supernatural miracles, do the impossible, do that which officially cannot be done. Okay, and more. You say, that bothers you. You know what? I don't care if it bothers you. I had a choice. I could have kept that in my book, Power from on High, or left it out. You know what I said to myself as I was praying and making the decision whether to leave it in or, or take it out? The, the part about, you know, the greater that Jesus said to his disciples, the greater things you will do, that we will do greater things than Jesus. That bothers a lot of people. I don't know a whole lot of people who have done greater things than Jesus. I, I don't recall doing anything greater than Jesus. That's not the point. That is totally not the point. The point is what God said in his word. That is the point and the only point. If the word of God is our final authority, then it is our final authority. That's the only point there is. It doesn't matter a hoot about what God did or didn't do for you, me, or anybody else. That's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. The laws of God are not predicated upon what he did or didn't do for you. The laws of God are predicated on the fact and reality of his identity, and that is he is God Almighty, the infinite personal living God of the universe. Period. End of story. Alpha and Omega. So, when you pray according to the laws of God and the commandments of God, then and only then, and you can't violate different laws of God. You can't cherry pick. When you pray in sync with God and ask according to the will of God, then God will miraculously answer your prayers and you will see miracles. It has nothing to do with whether you saw them in the past or not. Now, I experimented a lot when I was a young believer in Christ. When I read the passage in the Bible which says, um, Whoever says to the mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that whatever he says is going to happen, he shall have whatever he saith. Well, I experimented with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with experimenting. God's not insulted. God is scientific. Look how he created the world. So I experimented with, with many verses like that one. And so I'd be in a car with somebody, and I'd be looking at a mountain, and I might say it out loud, or I might say it quietly in my mind, but I'd speak to some giant mountain, okay? If I said it out loudly, I explained what I was attempting to do. So I would, I'd see the mountain, I'd look at the mountain, and then 
I would do what the Bible said. I would speak to that specific mountain that I was looking at, and I would do the following. Whosoever says to the mountain, be thou removed. So I would say, mountain, I command you to be picked up and removed right now in the name of Jesus. Whosoever says to the mountain, be thou removed, and does not doubt his heart, but believes that whatever he says is going to happen, he shall have whatever he saith. So I looked at the mountain, I commanded it to be moved, I commanded it to be picked up and rooted up, and I commanded the mountain to be cast into the sea. I believed it. I, I, I was in sync with God. faith. I believed that what I was praying was going to come true. I connected all the dots. I prayed in sync with the, the rules of God, and I tried this many times. And, and man, I, man I, you know, I'd work up a sweat concentrating. And guess what? Nothing happened. Nothing happened. So then I'm presented with a choice. Do I conclude from the result that nothing happened in the sense that the, that the mountain did not move? Am I to draw of the conclusion that God doesn't answer his word, that God does not perform miracles, that God will not move a mountain if we pray exactly as he teaches us to pray? Is that because some people would say that that's what you should conclude? I didn't conclude that. I was tempted to conclude that, but that would have been faulty science, faulty empirical evidence. That would have been a a, a very inferior methodology of experimentation. So, no, I did not conclude that God's word is not true. I did not conclude uh, that there must be something faulty with God, and miracles don't happen on that level anymore. I did not make up or reinvigorate the theology of sensationism, not to be confused with sensationalism. I did, did not conclude that, that this means we can't do incredible miracles, etc., etc. I didn't conclude that. You know what I concluded? That there's no way that God Almighty and the infinite personal living God of the universe can say something that is not true. He cannot contradict himself. There's no way that the God of the Bible can promise his people a, a clear formula for miracles, signs, and wonders, and then when they act accordingly, it doesn't happen. There's no way that God and his word could contradict each other. There's no way that God could be a liar. These are all givens. So what do I do? Like any scientist, do you know how many times Thomas Alva Edison, the inventor of the light bulb, had to experiment and play with the electrical filaments in the light bulb, which when you heat them up, the filament is what causes the light bulb to glow. He was always, I mean, he tried thousands of different uh, filaments, thousands of different substances, and thousands of different filaments, and all the filaments kept burning out. Did, did Thomas Alva Edison say to himself, like some jerk, oh, no. I guess I was I guess I was wrong with my theory. I guess I'll never discover a filament that makes a light bulb glow. I guess I'll never discover the light bulb and man will be in darkness forever. Did Thomas Alva Edison include conclude his theory and about the light bulb? Did he conclude that theory with such insipid stupidity? Of course not. Thomas Edison was a man of science. He said to himself, I know that that theory is true. The problem is not the theory. The problem is, I have not found the right filament yet. 
I haven't found the, the proper combination of vacuuming the t- tube, the light bulb, and the filament, and, and everything else. And so, you know, Edison said, science is 1% inspiration and 99% uh, perspiration. And he told people that he just kept at it and kept at it and kept at it. So, regarding the miracles of God and the biblical formulas of miracles, I did not come. I refused to come like so many airhead Christians come to, a faulty conclusion based on a misinterpretation of the evidence. I refused to do that. And I just pressed ahead and said, I said to myself, the problem is that I am missing something either in the interpretation, the context of the interpretation of God's Word, the way I'm praying the prayer. There's something that I'm missing on my end because God can't be a liar. And God has to be telling his people the truth. And so, I have continued to pursue to this very day my research, my experimentation regarding the supernatural, miraculous power of God and the miraculous nature of the Bible. And I have never come to a place in the Bible where I didn't eventually discover that God did know what he was talking about and that God was correct, and it was man's interpretation or man's understanding or man's history that was faulty. So I can give you thousands of examples that, through further research and study on my part, that I opened the door to the realm of miracles and, and all kinds of things. Thousands of examples of where, when I continued to pursue study and research and rightly divide the Bible, I was able to open all kinds of miraculous doors in the Word of God. But there are others that I'm still grappling with. And I believe that as time goes by, depending upon when the Lord returns, I, the Lord will grant me a knowledge, a deeper knowledge of how His kingdom principles work. And some of it, the Lord may not reveal to me until I get to heaven. But, but now I'm laughing now kind of silently to myself. I'm laughing now because I realized that with my last sentence in the Paul McGuire report, I, I, I accidentally supernaturally revealed the, the answer. And this was it. The reason I'm laughing is because I know that God is going to reveal to me all the deeper answers to these questions that I have when I appear before Jesus in my brand new glorified body in heaven. And when I thought that to myself before I just said it to you out loud, I realized that I already have, listen to me, you already have, I already have 100% proof, completely undeniable proof, scientifically, spiritually, technologically, that you and I already, we already possess the total proof we need that God still performs miracles, signs, and wonders, and that the Word of God, or the Bible, is jam-packed with fact-based signs, wonders, and miracles. And so you say, well, how could you say that? You were just hedging on that a minute ago. I'll tell you why I, I change at the very last seconds of the program, why I'm laughing, and I'm still laughing silently to myself, because I realize that... <laughs> It's so funny. God is funny. Lighten up. (laughs) 
This is the joy of the Lord, man. You may think I'm flat out crazy. I don't give a you know what. <laughs> the Lord has a sense of humor. And what he did is he caught me off guard. He, he slipped it under the table before I could pontificate. He did an end run around my, my bad logic before I could trip over myself. And God has a sense of humor. And many of you already got the joke. God just supernaturally revealed to me and revealed to you with a slip of my tongue that when I was about to say and recount to you the fact that I knew it was 100% reality that one day I will be absent from the body and present with the Lord in my brand new glorified body in heaven. When I said those words or started to say those words, that's when I felt like laughing. You know why? Because the very fact that it is 100% scientifically true, 100% accurate, there can be no deviation. We know that we know that we know that we know from the Word of God that if we're born again and truly saved, we know that it is a scientific fact and completely undeniable and completely irrefutable that when we die, we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ instantaneously in heaven in our brand new glorified bodies. The very fact that what I just said to you is not a fairy tale, is not a fable, is not a mythology, but is final reality, and it is the final destiny for each one of us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we will stand before the Lord in our brand new glorified bodies and look at Jesus Christ right in his face in heaven. That proves scientifically and irrefutably that if there's a God that can do that, and our entire salvation is based on the fact that there is a God that can do that, and the fact that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead after he was killed by the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers is also 100% proof that God can do anything he wants to do, including use his supernatural power to resurrect Christ from the dead. All of this together is impeccable truth that the Word of God is true regarding miracles. And if God can do those miracles, God can certainly do the miracles that we ask Him to do when we ask Him to do those miracles according to His will. Now, I I am delightfully intoxicated with the joy of the Lord. I mean, I really don't care whether you prove it or not. I don't care if you approve of it or not. If I cared whether you approved it or not, would I put it in the book? No, because regarding my book, Power from on High, where I came to numerous places like this, I had to make a decision. And the final decision that I was going to speak, articulately, scientifically, theologically balanced, but I would not cop out before the Lord, and whatever God said in his Bible, I would rightly divide the Word of God and so whatever I put in my book would be based on rightly dividing the Word of God and not saying that God in any way, shape, or form was less than who God said he was in the Bible. That doesn't mean I, in my finite mind, understand everything, because I don't. But it does mean God said who he was. And so, in finality, this is why we came up with the title, Power from One, Power from One Eye. I knew it had theological it was theological dynamite, and that's a pun too, because the actual translation of the word power from on high comes from the word dunamis, which means the explosive dynamite force of God. 
So dunamis, or power from on high, means the explosive dynamite force of God. So, so when we were talking about, should we call the book Power from on High? We both said, absolutely. Let the chips fall where we may. Absolutely. May the chips fall where they may. I'm not making an argument for kind of a, for a revival, so st- stop making a false... You know, when you make a false accusation, you are a liar and an accuser of the brethren before the Lord. I can prove in hundreds of pages and thousands of hours of video and television and meetings and interviews, I can prove with exhaustive, overwhelming, documented proof what my theology is. And when when some pipsqueak using a fake name fires a lying accusation about me or accuses me of something that is not true, then you have committed two grievous sins before the Lord. You have sowed discord among the brethren. You have been a false accuser of a brother, that's me, innocently. And we know from reading Revelation 12, don't we, that it is Satan who's the accuser of the brethren. So you accuse me, who is not guilty of what you accuse me of. Therefore, you're, you're, you're following in your father's footsteps, the devil, because it is Satan who is the accuser of the brethren. It is he who stands before the throne room of God and accuses God's men and women falsely. Falsely. Because that's his, the, the, the modality of spiritual attack. But I want to tell you something. I really don't care whether or not you accuse me, because I consider your accusation of me falsely, I wear it as a badge of courage. I wear it as an honor for the Lord. Because if I wasn't speaking truth, I wouldn't be being persecuted. So, in the final analysis, what matters, what counts, what brings revival, what brings transformation in people's lives, what brings deliverance, which, what brings salvation, what brings down power from on high, what pleases the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things are brought about when we are faithful to the truth of God's Word. Period. Now, if you're going to say that I'm unfaithful to the truth of God's Word, then I would suggest that you shut your mouth until such time that you can prove it with documentation. And not that I have time to be running around answering everybody's questions, but in a, in, in a recognized, acceptable, and certain level of form, I'm more than willing to debate you. But the rules of the debate will be that there, there's no you know, re-edits or retakes. Whenever I do a sh- show, you can ask my producer. You can ask the conferences. I like 99% of the time, I do no t- retakes, no re edits. What you hear from me, what you see from me is completely from a spontaneous mode. I don't go back and re edit and take out this and take out that. What you hear, what you see is what you get. That's how I live. So if, if you want to debate with me, the, the rules will be the same rules I apply to myself. You don't get a cushion to manipulate the microphone. The microphone isn't turned up or down. 
People can hear everything that is said exactly how it is said. And they make the decision for themselves. You can't hide or dodge or do this or do that. You can't cheat by having a computer in front of you. So you make, you know, I used to debate people and I, I was dumb. I didn't realize that, that a lot of them were cheating. They were in their studios and they were reading notes from their computer while they were debating me. And everything I was getting from, was from my memory. I, had me- I was debating them on facts that I had memorized or, or, or verses I had memorized. They were cheating. They, they were enhancing their intelligence by constantly looking stuff up or having their assistants look stuff up on a computer. No, you don't get to do that. There's no, there's no safety wire. So, you, you want to consider it, and the forum has to, to be right. I'm not interested in debating somebody that, you know, has, has, has not even been in the league of public debates. But, I, but, but if you want to debate me, you have to understand what the rules are. There's no second chances. It is what it is. You can't make yourself look good. It goes back to me. If I stumble and fall, so what? I stumble and fall. And you don't, you know, have friends in the room, you know, looking stuff up and all that other garbage. It's live, it's raw, and what the audience sees is what's really happening. You don't get to cheat. Okay? Because if you're going to call me or any other brother in Christ, if you're going to accuse me of something, then you better have your documentation and your facts correct. Because I've read some stuff that, like, where did this guy get this? From the Twilight Zone is where they got it. They misquote me completely. They take it out of context. Hey, man, that's, that's not, you know, you're a big guy and a big girl. If the only win, way you can win your argument, and this is not just about me, it's about any number of people on media, social media and stuff. If you can't, listen, let's just, let's just cut to the chase. If you can't win the debate or your argument, if you can't prove your point, if you're, if you're going to make an accusation about somebody publicly and lie about them publicly, if you don't have facts or documentation to back up your false accusation, then you don't have a, you really don't have a right to be in the arena to, big with, uh, to begin with. Because you're cheating. You're not playing fair. To win your argument, you have to resort to lying and manipulation. And, and so I will go back to Revel- the book of Revelation. Satan is the father of lies. And Satan is the accuser. That means he accuses true men and women of God day and night before the throne of God. And they're able to defeat, to defeat them, as I will defeat you, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. By the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony. And on that note, spiritual warfare continues. From the front lines to the cowards in the rear. Spiritual warfare continues because the bigger point is that we're fighting for the hearts and souls of our nation, and we don't have time to be quibbling with one another over peripheral peripheral theological issues, which you didn't even bother to get right to begin with. God bless you. This is Paul McGuire. Visit paulmcguire.us. That's paulmcguire.us. Paul